Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 141. We'll begin and conclude the book of Jonah with a brief summary and follow with some thoughts about fish, forgiveness, and spiteful behavior. Jonah is the son of Amitai, and before the ink even dries on his name. Well, me and the Lord, we've got an understanding. We're on a mission from God. Except that Jonah doesn't have a real understanding because instead of heading east like God commanded him to proclaim judgment on Nineveh, he flees west to Tarshish. At this point, any director worth a pinch of salt would introduce the montage sequence. Where Jonah buys himself onto a ship, the sailors busily dealing with loading, you know, various bundles and tying knots and securing sails and whatnot, while Jonah makes his way on board and below decks. And then they're off across the Mediterranean when the storm appears out of nowhere, waves lashing the deck, the sails literally disintegrating under the force of winds and rain. Young sailors panicking, running back and forth, and more experienced sea dogs grabbing them by the shoulders, gesticulating wildly about battening down whatever, while some look to the heavens fearfully. And meanwhile, Yona sleeps. The captain, soaked to the bone, dripping, comes to wake him, and I guess he's shouting the following line over the roar of the storm and the shouting and... Quote, how can you be sleeping so soundly? Up, call upon your God. Perhaps the God will be kind to us and we will not perish. And in the midst of the tumult and chaos, the sailors decide to cast lots to, quote, find out on whose account this misfortune has come upon us. Because I guess when all else fails, a good lot casting will always do the trick. And you guessed it, the short straw, the black marble, the whatever, falls on Yona. So as the ship is being torn apart by the waves and the winds and the rain... The sailors take some time out to inquire about Yonah's life story, and he tells them that he's Jewish, and then the sailors freak out, not because they're members of the alt-right, but because they realize that this guy has done something to irritate the Lord, God of heaven, and only through him will God be appeased. Quote, what must we do to you to make the sea calm around us? And Yonah tells them, throw me overboard. At which point, if I was a sailor, I'd be like, fuck this shit, I'm out. But even then, the sailors try one last thing, to row their way out of the storm, which, of course, fails. So, last resort, they chuck Yona over the side, and the storm miraculously subsides. Yona doesn't drown, because, as we all know, he is swallowed by a big fish. And, Yona delivers the word of God to Nineveh, a city full of hated idolaters, unbelievers, and... We've been to this movie before, right? Get the popcorn ready for the smackdown, for the ruin, for the destruction. But, quote, The people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and great and small alike put on sackcloth. And then, quote, God saw what they did, how they were turning back from their evil ways, and God renounced the punishment he had planned to bring upon them and did not carry it out. <sighs> But the story doesn't end there. There's a whole final chapter that for some reason always gets left out of the children's version of this story. Yona is unhappy with the outcome. It's not clear why. 
yet. He camps out on a hill outside Ninveh when God asks him what his problem is. Yona wonders aloud why he was sent at all. If God was just going to forgive the Ninveites, couldn't God have just done that while Yona stayed in Israel? And when then Yona throws a big tantrum and wishes that he was dead. <laughs> And with the use of a ricinous plant, a worm, and a sultry east wind, God teaches Yonah a lesson. And on that overly didactic note, here endeth the lesson. The book of Jonah reminds me of Peanuts, not the animated TV specials, but the syndicated comic strips that ran in major newspapers from October 2nd, 1950 through January 3rd, 2000. And I assume that y'all know what a comic strip is as well as a newspaper, but for those of us born after the year 2000, a quick recap. Newspapers used to be printed on actual paper, and they would come out each day, and in one of the sections of the newspaper, one could find comics. That is a sequence of hand-drawn drawings arranged in panels to display a sight gag or tell a serialized story. Peanuts featured Charlie Brown, his dog Snoopy, and other kids in the neighborhood. The comic was a four-panel, that is, in the rectangle of space allotted to Charles Schultz, he divided the space into four smaller, equally-sized rectangles. And though a comic for kids, Schultz often got very dark Think of Charlie Brown's interactions with Lucy and how, despite assurances to the contrary, Lucy continued to pull the football away for decades. And Charlie Brown continued to trust her despite this. Schultz often represented deep existential despair in his strips, but rather than leave us readers depressed each day, he would undercut the bleakness with a joke in the fourth panel, often at the character's expense. Here's an example, and yes, once again, I'm going to describe a comic strip. Riveting radio, I know, but it makes the point. I'll post the strip from October 1995 at thenextjew.com. Charlie Brown is on the mound, awaiting Schroeder, the catcher, for a little confab. Charlie Brown says, People always wonder what the catcher says to the pitcher when he goes out to the mound. Schroeder replies, Another season down the drain, then returns to home plate. Devastating, no? So Schultz's fourth frame takes the edge off just a little. Charlie Brown responds, it's not worth wondering about. (laughs) What we have here in the case of Yona is the opposite, a case of amelioration instead of pejoration, a case where if we drop the fourth frame, the comic is constructive and positive and warm-hearted, and so it's no coincidence that we never really address Yona's behavior in Chapter 4, when we put together all those children's picture books featuring the whale regurgitating Yona onto the shore, because in chapter four, we realize that Yona all along is kind of a dick. And he had the potential of following an uplifting character arc. He begins as the fearful, reluctant prophet. Who doesn't? Who wouldn't be a fearful, reluctant prophet? God wants you to leave home and subject yourself to potential scorn, mockery, and violence. Who'd, who'd agree to take that on? And as we know, no one willingly does. Starting with Moshe, practically every prophet has one of those moments where he thinks to himself, Fuck this shit, I'm out. 
So when he takes off for Yafo and gets on that the next ship out of town, heading in the opposite direction of where he's supposed to go, it's understandable. Yona is a human person. He'd like to continue being a human person instead of being turned into a shish kebab by the king of Nineveh. And when he bravely tells the sailors to sacrifice him to an angry god, that's downright noble. And when he finds himself in the belly of the big fish, not a whale, by the way, he prays to God, quote, They who cling to empty folly forsake their own welfare, but I, with loud thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will perform. Deliverance is in the Lord's. And God is convinced because Yonah is sincere, and by the end of chapter 2, Yonah is spewed out onto dry land, and off he goes to Nineveh. We have a classic redemption tale here. First, Yonah is redeemed, his act of contrition met by God's forgiveness. Then in chapter 3, the people of Nineveh, from the humblest to the most noble, undertake tshuva, repentance, and are forgiven. Well, isn't that special? This is why we read the book of Jonah as the Haftarah, the second reading for the afternoon service on Yom Kippur, a day which is all about repentance and forgiveness. And if the book of Jonah ended at the end of chapter 3, I would accept this very glib, very pat answer usually deployed by simplistic Jewish proselytizers. But we have a quarter of the book of Jonah where Yonah behaves like a petulant, tantruming drama queen who can't be reasoned with, who's so myopic and self-centered that even when God literally drops an object lesson on his head, we don't know if he gets the point before the book ends. Let's recap. Chapter 3 ends with God forgiving Nineveh. But chapter 4 begins with, quote, This displeased Yonah greatly, and he was grieved. And then he kvetches to God about having to go all the way to Nineveh for basically nothing, and then prays for God to kill him. God decides to teach Yonah a lesson by providing him with shelter from the sun in the form of a leafy ricinus plant, and then sending a worm to eat that plant. When Yonah is distressed about losing his shelter, God lands a zinger, quote, You cared about the plant, which you did not work for, and which you did not grow, which appeared overnight and perished overnight. And should I not care about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not yet know their right hand from their left, and many beasts as well? And then Yonah says, nothing, because the book ends there. The rule of thumb in journalism is that when a headline is posed to the reader as a question like, is the president mentally unstable or is war inevitable, the answer is usually no and the subsequent piece substantiates that answer. In the Tanakh, when questions are asked and left hanging in the air, the answer is usually yes. So when God asks Cain, where is your brother? And Cain replies, am I my brother's keeper? God doesn't answer directly, but we know the answer. In fact, Cain is the first to react to God's actions with anger, and there too, God asks him, fully knowing the answer, why are you upset? Even we know why Cain is upset. In chapter 4, God asks Yonah this question repeatedly, but the book ends without Yonah's answer. And in a sense, at this stage, Yonah's answer is irrelevant because God is making a bigger point here, and it's a point for all of us, especially on Yom Kippur. God creates so many contexts to make a simple theological point. God whipped up a storm and endangered a whole crew. God gave a big fish a wicked case of indigestion. God put a bustling metropolis into a state of panic, basically for nothing. God sprouted a ricinus plant only for it to be eaten by a worm. All of which 
to make a simple yet powerful theological point to Yonah, which we'll come across at some point later in the book of Job. And it's very simple. Donnie, you're out of your element. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, Hey, would it kill you to check out TanakhCast? Or even better, write a brief review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people who might be interested in some Bible learning find this podcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for episode 142 when we begin the sixth book in the book of 12 with Micah chapters 1 through 3.